0: Hey there, my name is Aaron Deal, and I'm a half-Southern, half-Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Welcome to Failed It, the podcast that reminds you, you have to fail in order to improve. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of Improve It and your host. And today, I am so excited to have our guest, Kathy Goss.
1: Yes. Kathy, Hello. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to
0: have you. We're going to have a little twist today with your show. So before we get started, let me just tell our Failed at family a little bit about you. So, Kathy's life's work is dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and she spent nearly two decades working and improving her craft. Now, a lot has changed in that time, but unfortunately, many of the challenges remain the same. The thing that keeps her as motivated and as passionate as ever is the opportunity to be a positive change maker. Now, nothing thrills her more than helping individuals teams, and organizations understand and become transformed by diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So, Kathy loves to dream big, but is always driving towards practical strategies that make a lasting and self-sustaining impact. There's no magic bullet to diversity, but together we can figure out the right solutions to help organizations and people realize their full Potential. Now, Kathy also wants you to know that she is currently serving as the Director of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Recruitment at ServiceNow. She's built out their diversity function from the ground up, and she's a graduate from Northwestern University with a BS in learning and organizational change. She also serves as a, the, one of the board of directors for Chicago Sherm, a wonderful organization. Shout out to Chicago Sherm as the Director of Diversity. She lives in the Chicago area with her husband and her three kids. Welcome again, Kathy.
1: Thanks, Erin. And yes, and actually, maybe by the time this podcast airs, I will have moved. I'm actually making a career change and going to Chicago Trading Company. So I'm incredibly excited about that move. Um, But yes, we can talk about that. We can get into that.
0: Oh, my God. I know. I have so much to unpack here. I'm Mm -hmm. like, yes. Yes. Kathy, okay, let's take a, let's, we're going to come back. We're going to pin that because I have so many yeah. questions there. But I want to start because you've had such a fascinating career with 10 years at so many great companies um, in d specifically. So you started with Accenture in 2003. Do you consider yourself a pioneer when it comes to diversity and inclusion? And then what drew you to this work
1: specifically? I mean, that is just a... Startling, <laughs> shocking question. Because no, in no way do I consider myself a pioneer. But as I think about that, I mean, yes, I've been doing this a really long time. Um, you know, I consider pioneers are you know the the people marching in the street um, and and fighting cases um, and that have been doing this work. You know, my first boss, Nellie Barrero, she I would consider a pioneer, um, and she built diversity at Accenture. But um, I am getting up there. And I am, you know, (laughs) when I when I talk to folks who are doing this work, I I tend to be one of the more senior people in the room in terms of years of experience. So in that way, you know, I guess I could own that that word. But, um, you know, I'm really a, a practitioner. And I am someone who Like you said, in my intro, I I work my craft. And so, no, I never think of myself in those terms. And, you know, for me, this is really personal work. I am biracial. I am adopted from Taiwan. I am half Taiwanese and half Irish. I learned uh, later in life. And my parents are white. And so I have very, a very fluid cultural identity. I'm very different than my family, but in a beautiful way. I've always, you know, great parenting, I guess I've always been taught that I'm special. You know, it's almost like an origin story for me that I have this special history. And so for me, being different was always something really exciting and that made me feel special. And so as I have grown up, you know, seeing where people's differences is considered uh, a negative by some, it is used against them to discriminate. Um, even sometimes those feelings are internalized by uh, people that are underrepresented or disadvantaged or discriminated against. And so that is just, that was always really unacceptable to me. So this is something I've been passionate about since I was a kid, and just was kind of dumbfounded that you could make a career out of this. Someone would pay you to do this work. Um so that is how I I got into it.
0: I love that and I love thank you for sharing the personal side of the story. I think that is such a beautiful beautiful story for all of us to know and it kind of bleeds into your life's mission which I feel like is helping organizations see differences as opportunities and for people to really experience each other and celebrate those differences. So I'm just what I when I got introduced to you, we were introduced through a friend of a mutual friend if that makes sense for everybody. And I started looking at your LinkedIn background and I just was blown away at some of these amazing organizations that you've worked for. So after Accenture, you then moved into a role at LinkedIn as the manager of inclusion recruiting. So this was back in 2014. You were with LinkedIn for four and a half years. What impact did this role make on recruiting? Because LinkedIn is a huge company. What impact would you say your role did in terms of recruiting at LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, I was the first person hired to build Think about build a strategy, build a team around what does diversity recruiting mean at LinkedIn, and LinkedIn's first head of diversity started a week before me. So, wow. LinkedIn, um, you know, at the time, I thought they were really late to the game. Now, I see companies that are you know, just in 2020 that are really hiring their first head of diversity. So, I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess LinkedIn wasn't as far behind as I thought. But, you know, when I was hired. It really, it was something that the company. There was a general sense um, that you know, of course, we want to be inclusive and it's the right thing to do, and there's lots of reasons we should be focused on this. Um, But they really had no clue about what that means. How do we define it? I mean, the questions I got early on were just so square one basic. You know, how do we define diversity? Is this reverse discrimination? You know, so it was really. The impact that I was able to have at LinkedIn was really starting from just setting the foundation, the philosophy of how do we think about this work? How do we do this in a way that's fair to everyone? Um, and that is, you know, an approach that's going to be sustainable, that's scalable. I think that so many companies take a, a, a very transactional approach to this, to recruiting and diversity recruiting, especially like, great, we're just going to go to, you know, a historically black college or university, or we're just going to sponsor this diversity, you know, uh, conference. And that's our, that's our strategy. And and it needs to be so much more than that. And so, you know, it was really changing our processes. I changed my title and the, the name of my, eventually it was able to hire a team, from diversity recruiting to inclusion recruiting, because it's really about making recruiting inclusive and fair for everyone. It's not about go find some women or some black candidates, and then we're going to push them through the process and hire them because they're black. I mean, that's completely the opposite of what we're trying to do. Although, of course, we do want to hire more <laughs> black people um, if we're you know kind of underrepresented there. Um, and so, I think I'm I'm very proud of kind of the infrastructure that we were able to establish. And I think starting LinkedIn off on the right foot and really aligning and partnering closely with our head of diversity to you know, make sure we're not just focusing on the welcome mat and getting people in the door, but also what's happening in our house and making sure that both of those, there's just as much of a focus on both sides of those of the coin.
0: Oh, I love that analogy. That is a beautiful analogy. I'm going to, I love that. The welcome hat is always out, you guys. Okay. That mm-hmm. is beautiful. And I think, so then, okay, you worked at another amazing. So you went from LinkedIn to where you're at now, which we know you're transitioning. So we're going to get to that next.
1: Well, and I mention like, we did change the numbers too, right? Like that's something, you know, I'm not driven by, by numbers and things like that, but that is ultimately, you know, when you're doing recruiting, uh, proof is in the pudding. And so we we were we did make double-digit increases in the percent of hires in in technical women. We already were very strong on uh, kind of our non-technical women, but also Black, Latinx, veterans. You know, all of those areas. Um, I'm really proud also of just being able to start to uh, change the face of LinkedIn. And and when I walked through the halls of our offices, it it looked completely different that from my first day at LinkedIn to my last day, um, a, just a completely different company. So that that's something I'm proud of. You should be proud.
0: Kathy, that is a huge, huge feat, bee- And it's such a big organization. It's a tool I use every single day. It's how you and I connected. And I think the fact that you can look back at your time there and be so proud of that is a wonderful accomplishment. And that's something you can't find on your LinkedIn profile, if you will. You are, you know, this is something that I know as you as a person, as Kathy, was walking through those hallways, literally you helped create. So kudos to you for that. I think a lot of people listening, we call ourselves the failed at family here. A lot of people in the failed at family are maybe starting this in their organization, or maybe they've already started thinking about a, a strong DNI practice for their organization. Maybe we're listening, or we have a small business owner listening here who thinks about how can I continue to make this a priority in my recruiting practices. So the fact that you are able to do that at such a large and global organization is wonderful. So kudos to you. Because now, so right now, as of today, but probably when this airs, this will no longer be. But as of today, you're they're now the Director of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at ServiceNow. What made you transition into your role from LinkedIn to ServiceNow? And I also love this word belonging in your title. Can you talk a little bit about both what that transition was like? And then that I love this inclusion piece. I know you mentioned it before it was something you changed at LinkedIn, but tell us a little bit about why that was important to put in the title.
1: Yeah. You know, it was a tough decision to leave LinkedIn and it really was, you know, it was not me that <laughs> that that achieved success. It was it's it's always a team sport. I was recruited by a former manager that I had worked with at LinkedIn actually, and the opportunity at ServiceNow was ServiceNow, while it's at the time it was, uh, I don't know, seven thousand, eight thousand employees, um, they were just building their recruiting function. They they had, it was, it's unbelievable, really, when you think about it. You know, up until that time, they didn't really have recruiters. It was just, you're a manager, great, go hire some people, and so you can imagine just the problems that arise, um, and you can't really grow as quickly once you get to a certain size. So it was really interesting. And I felt like just almost a once in a lifetime opportunity that going into a company that's not a startup, that you know, I get to be in there the ground floor of every process, every tool, you know, every every aspect of how we're building recruiting at ServiceNow, we can I can be there to help advise on how we make that inclusive. So that was really exciting to me. You know, usually in the work that I'm doing, You're going in, you know, it's like, well, this is how we've been doing it for five years, 20 years. And you're trying to fix something that everyone already is really comfortable with. And so I think just the change possibilities is something that was really, really cool and definitely um, bore itself out. Although I will say, I completely underestimated the difficulty in when you don't have a recruiting team and a recruiting, you know, just engine there's nothing to build off. It's like, it's like trying to build, you know, a house on sand, right? Like it just everything is shifting. And so it has taken a lot of patience and a lot of what is the organization ready for, you know, we're not ready to, you know, set any kind of aspirational goals, you know, we're still need to do training, or we just need to fix our job descriptions, you know, it's, it's picking your battles and timing things appropriately with the organization, which. Because the team you know is just it's messy when you're building a new team while also having to hire four thousand people a year, so um it's been a lot of starts and stops and shifts, and okay, we'll pause that we'll instead we'll do this, and you know it's it's been interesting. I also love the belonging piece that actually at ServiceNow we think about diversity in terms of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, so we call it dibs for short, and that was coined by our head of global talent, Pat Waters, who, by the way, also worked at LinkedIn to see a pattern of uh, several of us moved over to mm-hmm. when, when Pat left. And, you know, when Pat first when I so I was at LinkedIn, when she first coined that term, and I remember very distinctly, her kind of pitching it to us on the on the diversity team, I think we were called at the time, And, you know, she said, you know, I really like this idea of belonging. She's like, I was driving into my car. And I was like, inclusion, like diversity, inclusion doesn't really do it for me. And then she said, aha, it's belonging. And my reaction to her was like, well, Pat, I think of belonging as inclusion. That's when I think about inclusion. You know, I think about belonging. Belonging is about, you know, how do I feel? Um, Do I feel welcome? Do I feel respected? Do I feel heard? Do I feel like, you know, this is a place where I can be myself. And that's what I, how I had always defined inclusion, but really quickly, like almost immediately within days, I saw, I started to see really the power of separating those out because, you know, inclusion, yes, it, it could be some of those things, but it's, it's very almost cold. <laughs> you know, it's almost like yeah. your process, like I, you, you should have pay people this, you know, fairly and make sure your promotion process, like it's about the processes and belonging is a much more emotional feeling. And belonging is something everyone wants, you know, regardless, we all want to feel like we belong. And we've all felt like we didn't belong in some spaces, at work, in our personal lives, in high school, you know, whatever. And so um, it's something everyone really can respond to. And it changes the conversation. You know, when you think about what makes you feel like you belong, it's it's unique to all of us. Um, so I love that. It's a, it's a mouthful, you know, <laughs> to say. It's a business card. It's a long business card, but I like it. I love that people then ask the question like you did, because then it gives you the opportunity to help them understand how you think about this this broader, you know, area of diversity.
0: You're so right, though, because when I read your title, it automatically makes me feel like I do belong, right? Like it, it the word belonging has a softer feel to it then even inclusion. So I really I really love that. I, I it struck out to me. So you're now transitioning from ServiceNow to Chicago Trading Company. What made you want to take this leap?
1: You know, I will be very honest with you here. I'm feeling a little burned out on diversity and <laughs> it's a grind. You know, it is it's a very public kind of job. It's a job where not everyone even wants you to do your job. You know, there's yeah, and then you on the on the other side you have people who are pounding at your door and demanding things, and you know ask you know why aren't we going to this conference? Why aren't we investing here? Why hasn't our company made a statement about this? And you know, nine times out of the ten, I I agree. Like, yes, that's a great organization, but it doesn't necessarily mean from a program perspective, from a funding perspective, from a strategy perspective, that it makes sense. We can't go everywhere and be everything to everybody. It's difficult to juggle that. I think also, you know, Chicago Trading Company is just this amazing little gem. I think it's like the best kept secret in Chicago. It's a private company. I will get to kind of build diversity there. They've never had um, anyone focus on diversity but it's so small that it gives me the opportunity to do a a lot of different HR and talent things. And I'm excited about kind of stretching my legs and getting a chance to do some different things. I've kind of come to the realization that I don't want to be a chief diversity officer, or at least not at this point in my career. It's a tough job. It really is a tough job. And so I want to kind of pursue, you know, if, if that isn't, my route. What other routes could there be? I mean, I will always bring the the diversity to any conversation that I have in life. It, it's it's a curse. You can't really turn it off. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been a curse. But but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the leadership commitment, the just camaraderie and um, culture that Chicago Trade and Company has, and they're doing some really cool things around talent that. I'm, I'm all, actually one of the things I'd love is for them help them to share their story a little bit more. Coming from LinkedIn, you also are always thinking about, you know, how do you turn this into talent branding and, you know, getting things out on social media. So we'll see where we go with that. But I think there's a lot of cool things happening there that um, really isn't well known.
0: I love it. And I'm so excited for you. And I think Chicago Trading Company is so lucky to have you and to help sort of build their voice and also I love that you said they're a little kept best kept secret. i um, can't wait to see what you do there. And I know ServiceNow is grateful for your service, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think this is a very cool transition for you. And your just background, your career is fascinating. I mean, I can see what you're saying. It's a grind. It's a lot of FaceTime and also multiple people pulling you in many different directions. So You got to take care of you. You got to put on that mask first. And I'm glad you're doing it in a way that feels like you're moving in a positive direction. Hey, Failed It fam. Are you a leader for a small or large team that's stuck working from home? Are you missing the in-office happy hours or training sessions that allow people to interact and get to know each other? Are you sick of staring at a spreadsheet and you want something that will not only enhance team morale but also build soft skills? Then improve it has your back we've pivoted all 11 of our in-person soft skill training workshops to this virtual environment using zoom we'll create a memorable hour and a half experience that can train your team on things like effective communication leadership thinking quickly on your feet presentation skills and networking all in this virtual environment Leading a team of interns, let us wow them with our Career 101 workshop. Leading a sales team who's figuring out how to cold call or even warm call in this virtual world, have our team of improv professionals facilitate our sales training workshop. If this is the spice that your team needs to get out of this work from home rut, email us at info at it.com. Again, that's info at learntoimproveit.com, and that's T O it.com. Or you can head to our website, it.com to learn more. We would love to help you improve your it virtually, whatever your it might be. I want to kind of transition this now to our failed at family. So, our failed at family is anybody who's right now in a corporate job. Some of our failed at family are entrepreneurial, but I will say that, as you know, Improve It is the company that I run, and we use improvisational comedy to train on soft skills. Improv is one of the most inclusive teaching tools that I know. And that's why I love it so much because you can walk in a group of 20 individuals and walk out a cohort of 20 people who just went through this really awesome shared experience. So I I wanna talk about just the failed at family in general, and I'm hoping you can speak to them. And if somebody listening today wants to improve, their dni recruitment practice, right? So it could be a small business owner, it could be a person within an organization who knows someone in recruiting so that they could tell somebody in recruiting it may not even be a recruiter. what would you say is the first thing that they could do to start a dI recruiting practice? I know we hear all about blind resumes, but can we go deeper than that? Is there something that you would say if you have absolutely no DNI in your recruiting practice right now, what's the first most tangible step you can do?
1: Yeah, well, and first, I have to say improv, we have actually used improv exercises as part of our diversity, some diversity workshops we've done. You know, yes, and, you know, like these listening, right? These things that you learn in improv, which I am not at all in improv or have, but. Um, What I have been, you know, learned from workshops that I've done, this helps in terms of learning how to communicate, learning how to have an open mind, learning how to control and be be aware of your reactions. So I think that's a really cool uh, tie in. So diversity, inclusion and belonging. There is a you can think about those three things in relations to recruiting. And this is how I would I have would pitch this, you know, internally. So I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but at, at a high level, you know, the diversity is the diversity of your applicants, right? You can't hire them if they're not applying, right? And so sometimes you a lot of times your applicant pool, the people just applying to your jobs on Indeed or LinkedIn or wherever, is very diverse. And so it's it's making sure that you're going through those applications. Sometimes you have to be more proactive and do outreach and, you know, sourcing or, you know, going to a conference and things like that, building relationships. Then, but that is not enough. You need to also think about your interview process. Is it inclusive? You know, is it repeatable? Is it consistent? You know, is are we reducing bias in that process? Are all of your interviewers trained and they know how to ask good behavioral questions, right? So that, that is another thing. And the third, the, the belonging piece is really about the candidate experience. And that includes both, you know, what is my experience when I'm coming to interview with you, which makes a big difference, you know, like people, interviewers, it's hard when you haven't been a candidate in a while and having myself gone through a number of interviews over the last couple of months. But, you know, it really makes a difference as an interviewer. If you show up and, you know, you've, you haven't really prepped because you've been going from meeting to meeting. And you're not that you don't even know who this person is. And, uh, and you kind of have no energy. And you are your company's talent brand. And even though yes, you're interviewing this person, they're also assessing you. So that thinking about how your your team is showing up. And also, you know, what's on your website? What's in your social media feed? Do you have information about your diversity practice? So there's a lot in there, you know, and not every company, like you said, there's many smaller companies or companies that have a diversity team of one or one you know recruiter one poor recruiter who you know is tasked with diversity as a like part of their job so what my biggest advice would be figure out what's your biggest pain point and and focus there you know when i started at linkedin <laughs> all the recruiters told me that they were proposing you know giving their hiring managers diverse candidates to look at but they weren't getting picked to be interviewed. And then all the hiring managers told me they're not seeing a diverse slate of candidates. And so once we pulled that data, you know, it really told us like actually it is the recruiters, you know, there's a good number of people applying. The recruiters are screening a healthy number of uh, black, Latinx women. um, And they're just not, they're not getting to the hiring manager screen. So we created a diverse slate. Uh, aspirational goal at that phase of what is the group of this you know short list of candidates that recruiters are giving to their hiring manager but your your issue may be, hey, our website doesn't say anything about diversity on it, or every picture on our website is of you know white and Asian people. Um, it could be that your offers are crappy, you know you're you're down leveling you know underrepresented candidates or you're paying them less. so, Sometimes, if you're lucky, you have kind of an analytics team that can help you look at that data. But even if you don't have that, I think just doing some investigating, poking around a little bit, and then making, you know, there's a lot of intuition that can be right, it can be wrong, but you probably have a sense like, mm, these interviews, you know, <laughs> we, we survey our candidates, and they're saying, you know, people are showing up late, people, I mean, that that might be a place to start. We need to get to our all of our interviewers and train them on how to do good interviews. So kind of listen, to, use the data you have and go for what you think is your biggest your biggest gap. You know, we call that the leaky funnel and, you know, where where in the in the pipeline to getting hired are your diverse candidates falling out and focus there first.
0: I love it. I love it. The leaky pipeline. I I was in recruiting myself, so I know oh, a pipeline. Perfect. I think, you know, coming in from this like space of DNI and knowing that now more than ever DNI is at the forefront of companies anywhere from hiring to retaining talent I have a big question for you so how do you think we collectively as a nation have failed at making DNI a priority in the past that's my first question so let me let me have you answer that and then I have a follow-up to it
1: well, the first thing that you have to acknowledge is that uh, it's not just the past, it's the present too. And, you know, it's sad that it has taken the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many, many others for companies to kind of, many companies to wake up in 2020. Um, and many companies, you know, are are just still not doing anything about it. Um, but I think, you know, even for the companies who have been focusing on this there yes there's there's just landmines of failure <laughs> you know in the 80s and 90s it was a check the box like let's just not get sued you know maybe a vague sense of it's the right thing to do but it was very much of a compliance type of thing in the 2000 I think that's where you did start to see more pioneering companies starting to build bigger focus on diversity but i think it was relegated to hr And, you know, honestly, and this is, you know, I started this work in 2003. And even like, I cringe thinking about some of this, but a lot of the messages and the work that we did was almost around like fixing the employees in quotes. I'm, you know, my air quotes here, you know, like I remember... I would uh, I did lots of different things at Accenture, but one of the things I did was run a it was called Minority, Minority Leadership Development Program, which even the name can tell you how old it is. We would never do yeah. that. But but um, you know, we brought in, I remember I brought in a speaker, um, lovely man, black man, but he had a book and his whole message was around the game, and you have to play the game, corporate game, you know, and so You know, if you are an analyst level and you're trying to get to the specialist level, one level up, right, there's a different set of norms about how you act, you know, even how you dress, how you, you know, and so you need to uh, show them that you are deserved to be at that level. And a lot of his message was around, you know, you need to dress the dress and walk the walk and talk the talk. And, you know, there is something around, uh, you know, now we talk about bringing your authentic self to work. I mean, it's not always one hundred percent appropriate to bring your authentic self. Like, leave your bigoted self at home. You know, leave yeah. your yes. leave your frustrated mom or wife thing at home. You know, like <laughs> I'm not going to bring that to work. Okay, so none of us are one hundred percent our authentic selves. But of course, like now, what we really know is like pulling out people's superpowers is that you know, you can, you don't feel like you have to hide yourself, right? And and yes, I may be sleep deprived or whatever else, but I, I don't feel like I'm not, I don't, I have to cover up some essential part of who Kathy is. And so this notion, I think of, you know, you have to kind of contort the way you act to fit in with the culture of the company. Now we think about it differently that the company needs to change to be inclusive so that everyone can, you know, we are a culture where all different types of, personalities. And, you know, if you want to have tattoos, or if you, you know, want to wear your hair naturally, that is all awesome, you know, um, and it's not going to hold you back. So that, that was a big, you know, I think evolution in terms of my practice. And, you know, I don't think that was just Accenture. I think that's just an evolution of this um, diversity industry. The 2010s were like, you know, tech kind of started to wake up. And I think tech thought that they could Hack this, you know. Like there must be an app that we can solve diversity. <laughs> like, like I don't know what's wrong with the finance industry and the you know consumer goods, but we're going to fix this. And so, I know when I started at LinkedIn in 2014, a lot of the other uh, people in in diversity roles at other tech companies, as I started to get to know them, you know, they were people who uh, it was like a black saleswoman who they said, hey, do you want to come run diversity or diversity recruiting? And so they were pulling people, which happens a lot in in this work, you know, you find people internally who are passionate about it, and you kind of put them in the full time job. But you know, I was just gobsmacked. I was like, really? Like leading diversity? You know, (laughs) like, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, coming from Accenture, I knew there were people with like decades of experience. And I'm like, wow, okay, you have a 26 year old, like, no, not trying to be age biased here. But I think that's where you've seen tech realizing and you see lots of people hired from other industries and outside of the Bay Area that are bringing that experience. So that that was kind of interesting to watch and, and that maturity over time. Man, it's so crazy to just think about where, I I mean,
0: the question was, you know, where, where do you think that we've come and how have we failed? And I think you have experienced three different decades, essentially, almost, (laughs) we're getting into the third of D&I at work. And Wow, what well, you were telling me about 2003—that's just so crazy. I mean, I just think about where we are today, and I think we have so much more work to do. It would be wonderful if the tech companies could create that app, Kathy. But there won't be an app. There's wouldn't so much so great. would be great? a lot of money if
1: I <laughs> could just get <that> app working? <laughs>
0: we, that's the next step. Post podcast, we'll create the app. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: But that actually leads me to my next question for you. So. If somebody is listening and they're like, man, we are at square one, we don't even have a DNI team, what would you say, and you, you talked about this in the recruiting piece, but just holistically creating a more inclusive work environment, what would you say are three action items someone within an organization can take tomorrow, today, to create this more inclusive work environment?
1: Well, the easy answer is hire someone, <laughs> hire a diversity lead, right? But yeah, that's not always an option. I think I'll answer the question in terms of like just a manager, right? They're not necessarily the CEO or the head of HR, um, but I think a lot of it does apply. There's maybe three things I would say. The first is around self-education. Too often, and this happened in, when, in late May, when George Floyd was killed, right, there was this whole outpouring of every black person got a text or call from a white colleague or friends, you know, like, oh, my gosh, what, I, you know, teach me, I, I didn't know. And so teach me and that, you know, the emotional burden that is required, right, to, to be the person educating all of the white community that is not okay, not Efficient and you know is just unfair, and there is so much information out there. I mean, I found this information when I was fifteen. You know, going to the library, and so I know that you can find it through Google or whatever else way that you use. So you know, read White Fragility is where a lot of people have started and found it that helpful. Listen, there's podcasts. Code Switch on NPR is really great. Watch YouTube videos. I mean, Emmanuel Achau and I hope I'm saying his name right, but you know, he has this um YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Men that is just really great and really targeted. Like if you are starting from zero and like I just need to learn, there's so much out there. I think also really adjusting how you consume news and information, you know, in your social media channels follow different people or organizations than, you know, if 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 everyone you follow is white, for example, like add some diversity, follow you know, different organizations or different people. Race Fortune has a really great newsletter that I subscribe to called Race Race Ahead. It's totally free. It comes out twice a week, and they will curate articles um, and news with a little bit of editorial on top of it about just here are things happening, mostly in the United States, but a little bit globally, mostly around race, but also LGBTQ and other demographics. But, um, you know, just you need to take responsibility for your own education. If this were a business problem, like, oh my gosh, the supply chain is broken, you wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, someone tell me what to do, right? You would figure out, okay, I need to go learn everything about this problem and figure out how I'm going to help to fix it. And for some reason, with diversity, people, you know, become very passive, or defensive, or, you know, it's it's not something that impacts me. And that's a privilege that many people have. And so therefore, I'm, you know, it's uncomfortable, and I don't want to engage with it. So that was the first thing. I think, in terms of how you approach those conversations inside of a company, a lot of it, what I have found to be the biggest help is being vulnerable you know just being honest and you know if you talk to your colleagues or if you're a manager your team or if you're a CEO your company and said i'm learning a lot here you know i i am embarrassed to say or i you know i'm i am learning fast i'm embarrassed to say that i was not As aware, or I did not realize my own, how my own actions helped sustain some of the inequities that we have in our, in our company, in our organization. And so, you know, start to figure out how you can be a change agent for good and ask the problem with (laughs) unconscious bias is that it's unconscious. Like you don't know a lot of times blind spots that you have. I mean, I use that word blind spots. So you have to ask for. Help. You need to ask people that you trust, and hopefully your team are people that you trust. Ask them, like, if I ever say something can, or if I do something that, like, can you please just tell me? Like, I really want that feedback, and and set that expectation as a team. Like, we want to, we have the opportunity to create the kind of team we all want to work for, but we've all gotta be a part of that and be honest and be open to learning and have growth mindset. You know, I, I that word blind spot. It's funny I use that because just yesterday. Um, I was talking with a colleague who happens to be blind, who I work with here, and I used that word with him. And I said, Oh, my gosh, Jeff, like, is that word offensive? Like, I'm so sorry. Is that like, do you take offense? Should, should I just never be using that word? And he said, No, for me, it's not. But, you know, I think for other people, it might be. And so, but I think like, it's having the, you know, courage to ask that question and to catch yourself, right? Like at least I had the self-awareness every time I still use that word, obviously. <laughs> but at least I catch myself like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. And maybe I'm going to call myself out and be like, sorry, I did not mean to say a blind so, Guys is another thing I say all the time. Yeah. Um, raised in the Midwest, we say, hey guys. And that is not the most inclusive word in the world. And so I, I try to catch myself at least when I when I do say it. The third thing I would say is being an ally. So you have to stand up and say something when you see something. It's it, Sometimes it's the smallest things. When you're in a meeting, we've all been in these meetings, right? Where someone says something and then someone else says the exact same thing, but, but they get the credit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or, or they say it like they came up with it. And, and, you know, I've been in those, in those situations where I said, yeah, I think that's really similar to what Linda was saying earlier. You know, like just those little things that Linda feels heard. You're kind of like in a subtle way calling out, like, hey, that, that point was made. Even, um, having the courage to say, you know, post meeting, right? And it's all about how and when you do these things, but pulling someone aside and saying, I know you didn't mean to offend anyone, but when, you know, when you made that joke about women drivers, I think it was offensive to the women in the room. And, you know, men being able to say that to other men, you know, that allyship to women is, and, and white people being able to talk to their white friends is just as important, if not more important than, you know, expecting your black or Latinx or veteran or disabled employees to have to you know, make those call outs in the room. That is much more difficult for me as a woman of color than it would be for, you know, someone who's a white, straight man. Man,
0: these are so good, Kathy. Okay, I'm literally, so many things that you just said, I'm sitting here going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that's happened. I'm sure everyone listening is like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that's happened to me that happened to me this week that happened last week. Oh, yeah. In May, I did that. I reached out to all of my African-American friends and Black friends and said, you know, how can I help? I think that really the awareness piece of all of this is an underlying theme. It's having that self-awareness, as you mentioned with your friend that, you know, you had the conversation with about spot. I think having the awareness is so important. And it sounds like you know, knowing the failed at family who is listening today, take these three tips. I'm going to put some of these, these great three action items in the show notes, Kathy. So people listening can say, boom, 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 and create this in their own workspaces. Because I do think Obviously, the death of George Floyd really brought diversity and inclusion to a peak this year. I mean, we're now living and working in this remote environment. We are learning at a rapid pace things that we had to relearn and pivot into in 2020. And I think what we're all craving is just some psychological safety in 2020. And I think that that matters for every single person. And I think I myself am white, right? So I recognize the privilege that I've had of being a white woman in the world. But I also realized that the world has so much work to do to make everybody feel comfortable. And I think a lot of people listening want that same I hope everyone listening wants that same thing for every team member on their organization, every person that they know who may feel uncomfortable at times. And so I really just appreciate your voice in this. This is so awesome. And I think a lot of people are giving you some amens in the background here. Okay, maybe they've paused this episode and taken notes. And I'm going to make sure people listening know what the upfront Get your notebooks out because this is some good juicy chicken nuggets of information. So I made this episode today about your career and not specifically about Kathy because your career is so fascinating. Usually I take the person, I dive into their failures, but I think this topic of DI is so, so important, especially as we move into post-election, into 2021, into this new decade. I'm excited to see what your career does in the 2020s. Okay. (laughs) Let's let's talk in 2030. Okay. Right. So I'm going to just spin it back to you a little bit. You know, this is the Failed It podcast. Kathy, what would you do if you knew you could not fail?
1: You know, in some ways... I'm, I do it every day. You know, this is not a profession you go into knowing there's a certainty of success. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're trying to chip away. You're trying to get small wins that you hope turn into big ones. It's sometimes, you know, bad days you daydream about like, man, maybe I could just go, you know, be a salesperson or I don't know, something where you could be like, yes, I did it. Success. I met my quota. It's, it's very cut and dry. The work is not like that, but. You know, I think a few times, I would have, you know, if if I knew it, it would have no negative repercussions on my career, I couldn't fail. There are definitely times where I would have dialed up or walked up to the CEO or the VP of whatever, and just like broke it down for them. And, you know, you can't always, uh, that is not sometimes you, you, it is the right time and place to do that. Sometimes it is just not, you know, I think. I someday, maybe when my kids are out of out of the house and all that, I think starting my own diversity consultancy is something I've thought about, but is terrifying. And I've, you know, I'm someone who is a child of a divorced, you know, uh, parents. And so being able to have a steady income was always something that was very important to me and uh, being able to support myself. And so um, just ha- being a small business owner is terrifying to me, but, um, I think that could be really interesting. I love being able to go into different organizations and help just, you know, help solve problems, help give advice. Yeah. I think it, that, that would be really fun.
0: Kathy, you call me. Okay. I got I failed it at all. <laughs> you can mentor me. <laughs> I'll be your mentor then. Okay. We need you right now in DNI, i but I will mentor you then. Trust me, that's why I have a podcast called Failed It. Okay, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, failed (laughs) at it all. All right. So what did you fail at today?
1: You know, um, I didn't work out again. So that is (laughs) already a failure. If I don't do it in the morning, it usually doesn't happen. And I also didn't get enough sleep. Um, You know, this is Friday after the election. And so like many people, I've just been burning the midnight oil, trying to watch these election results. But um, sleep is something that's very important to me. And uh, I need to catch up a little bit.
0: Yes. And your episode is going to air two weeks from this date. So maybe by the time listeners are are listening, we'll have an answer. (laughs) 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 Let's hope. Okay. Now, we're going to end with something I call the fail yeah. Lightning round, Kathy. You didn't know this was coming because it's a little bit of improv, a little bit of thinking quickly on your feet. It's going to be fun. You're going to nail it. Even if you fail it, it's a good time. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you can only respond with a one word answer. And know that if you respond with more than one word, I'm going to give you a fail. Yeah. Just like that (laughs) in a weird, weird voice. Okay. All right. Are you ready for fail? Yeah, Kathy. Let's do it. Okay. One word to describe your early career.
1: Competitive.
0: Ooh, one word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Uh,
1: uh, uh, collaboration.
0: I'll give it to you. You said a couple of us, but I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> okay. All right. One word to describe your future self. Powerful. One word to describe your favorite boss. Learner. One word to describe your least favorite boss.
1: Territorial.
0: Oh, and one word to describe your management style. Informal. One word to describe your work fashion style. And it could be work from home.
1: On point. Oh,
0: that's too much. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I like the answer. <laughs> Hyphenated a word, but I like the answer a lot. Okay. One word to describe this interview.
1: Fun. Fun.
0: Yes. Kathy, you nailed it. You didn't fail it. Congratulations. Thank you, you, Erin. Oh, my God. That was so fun. Okay. So how if somebody wants to find you, what's the best way for them to find you on
1: LinkedIn? Tell them how they can. Probably LinkedIn. Yeah. I, you know, as a a LinkedIn alum, I share a lot on LinkedIn, I post things. So um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, follow me, connect with me, all that.
0: Awesome. And we'll link to her LinkedIn in the show notes. I want to say a big thank you to our Failed It family for listening. Tell us what you want more of based on this episode at Keep It Real Deal. Or you can email us at info at learntoimproveit.com. And the best conversations always happen there on the episodes page. So drop us a line. Tell us what you think of today's show. Kathy. Thank you for bringing your voice, your talents, and your wisdom of all things D&I to this show. I know that the Failed It family and myself have benefited from hearing your story, your career journey, and I just want to say, keep putting that magic out there. You are bringing light to this world.
1: Thank you, and thank you for creating this space and for giving me the opportunity to share all of all of my my war wounds <laughs> and failures. It's just uh, it's cathartic.
0: <laughs> yes, it's like therapy, right? Yes. Except where I'm in a very uncomfortable chair, not a couch. All right, and to the <laughs> failed it family, thank you and fail, yeah. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but wanna leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.